Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. She's 22 years old and has just played basketball on the biggest stage in the world. We talk with New London native and Olympian India Pagan on her recent journey to the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. The Olympics are considered to be the biggest sporting stage in the world, and despite COVID and a one-year delay, the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games came and went. It was a huge success for Japan, albeit a quieter affair, with no spectators allowed to attend because of the ongoing pandemic. But that didn't stop the world's Olympians from turning out record-breaking performances and celebrating the spirit of the Games. New London native India Pagan was among them and represented Puerto Rico in the women's basketball tournament. I caught up with India recently after she returned home to New London from her Olympic adventure. India, thanks ever so much for joining us. No, thank you for having me. So we're going to get into the whole Olympic thing, obviously, as part of this interview. But before we do, and give us a little bit of your background story. I'm India Pagan. I'm from Connecticut. I'm Obviously, I'm Puerto Rican. Um, I've lived in Connecticut my whole life. My journey has been amazing. I've been super, super blessed. And now I've, I've made it to the Olympics. So that's basically my story. You're only 22 years old as well, which is also incredible that you've managed to do all these things in such a short amount of time. Yeah, it's like I said, it's a blessing. Just 22, I, I could call myself an Olympian. I could call myself a New London State Championship two times. I'm a two-time collegiate champion as well. So I just, I'm blessed every team I go on. I'm just going to ask you a few more questions before we get, as I say, into the whole Olympics thing. I read an interesting little snippet, which I thought was just really, really nice, bearing in mind what it is that you do now and you do so well. Is it 10 years old, your dad enlisted you and your sister into like a basketball sort of camp and the pair of you weren't interested? Yeah, it was the rec league in New London. I had tried karate, I tried softball, I tried... A bunch of other sports and then he finally put us in basketball and we were just over it and then he said that first practice I think it was we were just we were crying we didn't want to go and then he said by the end of the week that we said we loved it and we didn't want to stop so that's look where it's taking me. What did it mean for him as well because you know like you said you weren't into it then you were I mean your dad played basketball didn't he? Yeah yeah he played basketball in college in Puerto Rico My mom is also a track star, so I think for them, they just really wanted to get us in sports. Me and my sister were getting a little taller, a little bigger, a little stronger, so they were like, we have to get them in basketball, and it it worked out. So when you finally decided, yeah, this is something that I'm interested in, were you surprised at how quickly really it sort of took off for you? Yeah, honestly, obviously everyone's going to be a little bad when they first start, so I would... I would travel, I would double dribble all the time. I was, obviously I wasn't that good, but 
I caught on really quickly, so I think that's how my parents knew that basketball was the sport for me and my sister. Yeah, so it just it took me a little bit, but here I am, and obviously my skills and my talent have taken me to where I am. And of course, you know, um, you're from New London, uh, Connecticut, and you were educated in the city as well. You also played for them. Looking back at it now, you know, how, how does it feel? Because could you ever have imagined that you were going to go as, as far? And, and obviously, you've still got so much more to go as well. Yeah, I, I never imagined it. Obviously, I feel like everyone would dream of being in the Olympics. I just, I just take me as far as God will take me. Just one step at a time. Like, I started in rec, and then I went to high school. I got the championship in high school. And then I went to college. I won. I did that. I won a championship in college. And now I'm in the Olympics. So it's just little by little, my journey has just been amazing. And clearly, obviously, we have to ask about your parents as well. I mean, what are their thoughts about this whole journey for you? Because, like we said, it is an incredible journey. What conversations do you have with them? They, they love to talk, so I have conversations daily. They've been my greatest support system, my parents and my two sisters. The whole city, the whole um, state of Connecticut, um, New York, Puerto Rico, I've had support from everywhere, conversations, people motivating me, supporting me. So it's been really nice, but I, I have to give props to my parents. They've pushed me the whole way, and obviously it's paid off. So let's get into the whole Olympic thing. And, and before we get to that, that journey, as it were, Puerto Rico, obviously, it means a lot to you. That's where your mum and dad are from, the heritage connection, etc. Explain to us how you got connected, becoming a team member for Team Puerto Rico. Mentioning back to all the communities that I'm a part of, I forgot to mention AAU, which is a big part of like the recruiting process and how I really got exposed um, to colleges, to and that's where I got exposed to the national team. So I was uh, playing a game in an AU tournament in Washington, I think it was, and the recruit for the national team was there, and she saw my last name, and she was like, she has to be Puerto Rican. So she saw me, she saw my game, and she said, we have to bring you to a tryout, and I made it. I made the U19 team, the U18 team, and then I've been on the adult national team for four years now. And what did that mean to you, obviously, to get picked? And, and certainly for, you know, for Puerto Rico as well, because it must be huge for you. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful feeling. I never would have thought I would have been part of the national team. So blessed to be Puerto Rican in so many ways. The culture is beautiful. The people are absolutely amazing. The support, the, just the dances, the music, the food, everything is beautiful about my culture. Thankfully, both of my parents are Puerto Rican, my grandparents are Puerto Rican, so I was able to play on the national team. Even though I was born here in London, but I am also, I'm 100% Puerto Rican, so it's, it's beautiful. I love being Puerto Rican. So let's get to the Olympics. We keep like stalling, so let's get to it. You find out that, you know, you're going to be going to the Olympics. Just talk us through all of that, because it must just be absolutely mind-boggling to be told you're going to be playing on the biggest so like, stage on the planet. It, it was a process. I was thinking about it all year because they were canceled. They were supposed to be in 2020, but obviously coronavirus happened. But I was thinking about it all year. Hopefully I'll make the team. So the tryout was in May. Um, they brought 20 girls to the tryout. It was like a month period of a tryout, so it was a little nerve-wracking. Although I had made the team the past two, three years, it's still like I still want to give it my all, prove that I deserve to be there, and I want to rep- represent Puerto Rico. And then we played a tournament in Puerto Rico, which is called the America Cup. 
and there we won silver. It's the first silver Puerto Rico has ever gotten. And then after that, he announced who was making the final Olympic team. And then, yeah, they put something up on Instagram, I think it was, of the final 12. And I was like, I made it. I called my parents immediately, and I said, I made the Olympic team. And the journey's about to start. So they were so excited. We all cried, and, and I'm just so happy they chose me. A tough games, of course, because like you said, it was cancelled for a year because of the coronavirus. And then even when you know you got to Tokyo, and I was there as well in a different capacity, and and it was hard. I mean, there was lockdown and all sorts of things. How was it for you? Because as athletes, it seemed that you were being kept away, obviously, from you know the possibilities of contracting coronavirus, because obviously that would just be a disaster. Yeah, they did their best for to avoid the athletes getting coronavirus. The the precautions and the measures they took were amazing. Um, obviously, there still were some cases. I feel like it's unavoidable at this point. But, yeah, it was it was tough without no fans. It definitely would have been a different experience in the Olympics. I feel like the Olympics is an experience itself, but having fans there would, would have been ten times better. I'm used to it. In college, I didn't have fans. The last year, I didn't have fans. So, yeah, I'm used to it, but I would have preferred the fans. COVID, it was tough. Uh, we couldn't really interact with a bunch of the athletes. They did have like a, a play area or like a playroom, a game room for all the athletes. So I did get to talk to some athletes there, but still it was kind of tough. And it was time, of course, for you to get down to the serious subject of playing the games. China, I believe, was the first match that you had. How did that go? How did you feel after it? Just talk us through that. China, they are a very good team. I think they're number four or five in the world. I think we're like... 12 in the world so it was a tough game they have a 6'9 girl 6'8 girl and then here I am 6'1 two WNBA stars on their team as well so it was we knew it was going to be a hard game but every game we took it we just played our all we played Puerto Rico basketball we're like grimy we're scrappy we 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 play with our hearts and that's what we did every game obviously we would have loved to come out with the win in any of those games but it was, it was a really cool experience and Puerto Rico's just going to grow from being in the Olympics. You say you like you play scrappy but in a way that must make it difficult for your competitors because if you're not sort of like what they expect isn't that a little bit of an advantage if you're sort of like you're keeping them on, on their toes really? Yes that it, it is it's how we play so every team we play they know they have to be on their A game because if they're not we're, we're going to take that from you a lot of teams don't really like to be physical or like to... And we're a much smaller team than the rest, so we're quicker. We, we run a lot. We I want to say we hit, but like it, it's the Olympics, so we have to give it our all. We're physical. So, yeah, the teams, um, they know what to expect, but, yeah, it's just really fun. And then, of course, you had a couple of other games. I think it was three in all games that you had. The last one was Australia, I think, that you, you played. Did it all seem to go fairly quickly once you started to get going? Yeah, honestly, now that you say that, the, it was like one game two days rest one game two days rest so it did go by pretty fast especially everything that we were doing we had like two practices a day one in the morning one in the afternoon so it did go fast the experience like they say when you have fun the time flies so it definitely did did you have any downtime at all you know in between I mean I know you said you had a couple of days but did you have any opportunity at all to see a little bit of Tokyo because like I said I know it's tough and of course you're not there to sightsee you're there to train and obviously to do the games yeah they weren't letting us leave the hotel but prior to the Olympics they had us in um, some scrimmages so we scrimmaged Japan and France and we just stayed in a hotel outside of Tokyo it's by Mount Fuji so that 
that's the nicest like scenario we got to see. We only got to stay on the bus, but it was beautiful. Probably the most beautiful experience I've had besides the Olympics. Yeah, Mount Fuji, it, it was eye-opening. It was jaw-dropping. Um, I have tons of pictures, even though it was obviously from the bus. They also took us on a bus tour around Japan, downtown Japan, Tokyo. So that was cool. We just took videos from the bus. Because they said if the IOC found out that we got off the bus, then we wouldn't be allowed in the Olympics. So we were fine. We didn't want that to happen. So we just took what we could and, and enjoyed it. Now, of course, there was plenty of sports going on as well. Um, one of the big sort of like stories out of the Olympics was, of course, Simone Biles um, deciding that she needed to sort of like protect herself, look after herself um, and her mental health sort of thing. As a professional athlete, as a woman as well, What's your reaction to that? Because she got a little bit of criticism at first, but I think on the whole, many, many people said, no, absolutely, she did the right thing. What were your thoughts about that when it happened? She's human. We're all here. She might not seem human because she is the best of the best. She does tricks and flips and what she does, and nobody else can do that in the entire world. So sometimes we might forget that she's human, but everyone needs a break sometimes. Um, Mental health comes first. So I, as an athlete, and my teammates, my coaches, we all understood. After that was announced, my coaches, they put us aside, and they were like, if you guys need anything mental health-wise, like, we're here for you. We know it's hard, all the pressure, publicity, the media, everything. So if you needed us. So that was good that the coaches did that. But I completely understand. She'll be back. She will be. But we all need a break once in a while. I was going to say, I mean, just explain to us, I mean, at 22 years old, you know, you're still incredibly young, a very high-pressure situation. Like we said, the biggest stage in the world. It it is a lot of pressure. She's probably used to it, but she's still young. She's still gaining experience. Obviously, I've never been to the Olympics, so it was nerve-wracking for me and my team. It was the first time Puerto Rico made it to the Olympics, so it was nerve-wracking for us and the coaches, but... We put that aside, and we're like, we're just going to represent Puerto Rico, give it our all, and that's what we did. And then when it did come to an end after, obviously, you know, the, the third match sort of thing, you were, what, straight back to, to the U.S.? I mean, what, you know, one, how did you feel, you know, about, you know, the Olympics was over for you for this occasion sort of thing, and then obviously you had to, to come back. So just talk us through, you know, so like the post-Olympic situation. Yeah, it was bittersweet. I, I couldn't, I didn't want to leave because I don't know when I'll be back to the Olympics. But I, I've been gone from my, from my home, from my city since, like, April, May. So it's been a little, a little while. Um, it's been a, a very long summer full of adventures, experiences, medals, the Olympics. So it was, it was just a summer full of beautiful experiences. But I, I was ready to come home. I enjoyed the Olympics, everything about it. I soaked up every single moment, took every picture, every video I could. In the opening ceremony, I took so many videos so I got home, my parents, they had brought friends and family to the airport and they greeted me and hugged me and I cried, my family cried, so it, it, was, it was nice to be home. Just quickly talking about the opening ceremony, were you actually part of that? Were you walking in, in the ceremony in the stadium? And if so, just tell us what that felt like, because looking at it, it looks amazing, but I'm guessing it's a totally different experience when you're actually in there. Yeah, it, it was beautiful. I'm, if you haven't noticed, I'm like a crybaby, so I cried like three times in the whole ceremony because I just couldn't believe that I was there. Like I've seen it on TV in the Rio Olympics and, and the previous ones. I watched it on TV, and just the fact that I was there i was walking they presented puerto rico and we waved 
it was so beautiful and it was surreal to me. So I, I soaked up that experience and my camera was filled with videos and pictures of it. So yeah, that was probably my favorite part. I think what was good about this Olympics as well is obviously it was under very difficult circumstances, but we also saw, as I said, you know, we've mentioned Simone, Naomi, you know, lit the, the torch as well. A lot of amazing athletes, female athletes, you know, at last it seems that, you know, the Olympics gets it and it's like, yep, it, you need to start like highlighting. So like, you know, female athletes just as much as male athletes. Did you get that sense as well? And were you pleased to see that, you know, the female athletes were getting just as much or more attention than they perhaps have in the past? Yeah, no, it's, it's about time. Um, these females, these amazing females, they've been making history. It's, it's honestly time that they give them the recognition and the media coverage and everything that they deserve. It was great to see Naomi there. I got goosebumps just watching her light it, her bright smile. So it was really nice. Now, the other thing, uh, of course, is if there's anyone listening to this, you know, uh, and in particular, you know, young female athletes, what sort of advice would you give to them? I mean, obviously, you know, if they can become Olympians, that would be great. But what sort of advice would you give them just generally? Because like I said, you have had to date such an amazing career and so much more ahead of you. What would be some of the advice that you would give to people who are listening to this? Um, the first thing that came to mind was remain humble and like just nice and genuine in everything that you do that's one of the things that people say about me is that throughout this entire journey no matter how high or how how far I go um, I, I will remain humble my heart will re- remain the same just enjoy the experience anything that you do if it's sports if it's dancing if it's art if it's anything anything that you do skating whatever you decide to do male or female just just give it your all and just stay humble now Coming up, actually very shortly, is a parade for you and some other sporting heroes here. Have you been surprised by the amount of publicity and coverage and enthusiasm as well that not just you but obviously the other sporting heroes have got here in New London because it really has sort of been a highlight here in the city for, you know, for several weeks? Yeah, no, the love and the support has been amazing from the city and from Connecticut. It's not just New London. Um, I've gotten love from surrounding towns, from everywhere. Everyone is excited. Um, I'm their first Olympian and first female Olympian, so that's also big. I know they see me in New London. They see what I did in London for the School of New London, so they were there throughout that journey. I think they're just in awe to see how far I've come, and they just want to support me the whole way, and I'm so grateful. I hope everyone can show up. I don't know if anything like this has ever been done. Obviously, we've had parades, but I'm just I'm so excited to see the turnout. And, of course, we shouldn't forget as well that you play for the Sony Brook Seawolves as well. So we need to give them a shout-out because, you know, they're still a very important part of your life as well, aren't they? Yes, they are. My Seawolves, I will be back at school in a week or so for my grad school year. So excited. I wasn't going to come back, but something in my heart said, just give it one more year. They gave me an extra year because of COVID, all the athletes. So I said, just take it and make history one more time. So what does the future hold for you? I mean, you know, I know people always ask, you know, what's your five-year plan and all this sort of stuff. But I mean, immediately for you at the moment, apart from what you've just said about going back to play, what are the sorts of things that you think that you want to do for yourself in the, in the next few years? One, it would be to finish grad school and my Sony Brook career on a high note again. After that, I would like to play overseas. I, I've already had couple looks but I I can't really contact them because I'm still in college so I know that opportunity will be there my mom she's a kindergarten teacher 
So I want to go, I want to work with kids. I love kids, the education system. So I think that will be in my far future um, once I finish playing basketball. And the final question I want to put to you, you are an Olympian. You will always be an Olympian. What does that mean to you? I, it's just mind-blowing, honestly. Whenever someone says an, you are an Olympian or are you the Olympian, my jaw, I just smile, my jaw drops. I get goosebumps because it, it's still surreal to me. I, I need to own it. I need to embrace it. I, I am an Olympian. I went to a doctor's office. They were like, are you the Olympian? I went to a restaurant. They are like, you're the Olympian, right? You're, you're Indian Pagan. So it's beautiful to see the, the recognition. And, yeah, I, I just I can't believe it. Well, India Pagan, congratulations. You are our Olympian. And uh, thank you for the interview. No, thank you. Thank you guys for all the support and, and everything. Thank you so much. Patients fighting cancer use more blood than patients fighting any other disease, but there simply aren't enough people donating regularly to meet the need. That's why the American Red Cross and the American Cancer Society have partnered to encourage people across the country to give blood to give time. Many cancer patients, especially those undergoing chemotherapy, may need blood during their treatment. Cancer takes so much, but you can help by donating blood or platelets. Visit GiveBloodToGiveTime.org to give now. Green Valley Tree LLC is proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week. Contact Green Valley Tree LLC for all your tree removal and plant health care needs and more. Find us at GreenValleyTreeWorks.com or call 860-234-4041. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently. The future number of new London police officers has been saved after a public vote reversed a decision by the local council. Earlier this year, six of seven new London councillors ordered a 2012 ordinance for an 80-officer maximum be removed, causing a public outcry. New London Police Union President Joe Bazzelli said he and his officers were disappointed with the local council's actions. We know the ordinance was never reached. But just to say that we're just going to remove it and, you know, smack us in the face is kind of how we took it. So it was nice to see that city residents came out and spoke and said that they support us and they they want us to at least be as healthy as we can as a department to try to give them better services and a better quality of life for our officers. And Michael Passero, the mayor of New London, said he was also not in favour of the council's decision. When I took office five or six years ago, we did not have enough money to afford the 80 officers. So therefore, we never got to that goal anyway. Now, we have currently budgeted for 77, which is our high, and we're unable to fill those positions. We only have 70 officers in positions, and we're having trouble filling officers. Buzzelli said a new study undertaken on manpower issues for the new London Police Department shows they should have at least 117 officers, far above the ordinance's 80-member recommendation. The emergency department of L&M Hospital in New London is getting an $81 million upgrade. The facility that sees more than 140 patients on a daily basis will have new rooms, a critical power upgrade and a dedicated emergency department entrance and psychiatric emergency services space. The project was delayed in 2020 due to the COVID pandemic and is now due to be completed in 2024. The final steel beam for the project was signed by members of staff in a topping-off ceremony recently. Patrick Green, the president and CEO of l Hospital, had this to say. 
After months of work behind the walls, below the ground, the construction is finally starting to take shape at the street level. Throughout this entire project, our emergency department remained open and our physicians and staff have done a remarkable job continuing to fight through the pandemic and increase patient volume. And the patients continue to receive the greatest of care. And I'm so thankful for them. In the Connecticut Examiner this week, Connecticut's new recreational marijuana law established a social equity council tasked with ironing out the implementation of equity components of the legislation. The council held its inaugural meeting recently, where they passed a list of geographical areas deemed to be disproportionately affected by the war on drugs and debated the speed of the process and fears that equity will be quickly co-opted by corporate interests. The state plans to prioritise applicants for marijuana licences who hail from these communities. Governor Lamont's Associate Policy Director Patrick Hewden presented a list of disproportionately impacted areas compiled by the Governor's Office. Between 1982 and 2020, two-thirds of drug convictions in the state took place in these areas, which hold just 23% of the state's population, Hewden said. The law tasked the council with defining these geographical areas by August 1st, so by the first meeting the group was already four days behind schedule. Establishing criteria for proposals for an equity study had an August 6th deadline, but the council voted to push the deadline back to September 15th. In the day this week, Governor Lamont may be headed for a showdown with the legislator over what appears to be a fraction of the state budget too small to measure. But what's really at stake is the oversight of a major wind-to-energy project in Long Island Sound and whether a long, underfunded watchdog agency, founded not long after a Republican governor went to jail, should have the resources to probe the venture. When it comes to the State Contracting Standards Board, it's very much time to fund it properly so it can do its statutory due diligence or to disband the organisation, said Senator Kathy Austin of Sprague, a co-chair of the Appropriations Panel who favours funding the watchdog body. Austin and others hope to reverse what they say was a mistake Lamont and the legislator made quickly and quietly when the new state budget was adopted in June of this year. In the Norwich Bulletin this week, a 62-year-old Woodstock woman who embezzled nearly half a million dollars from a Plainfield business over a period of years was sentenced to four and a half years in prison after pleading guilty to first-degree larceny. In addition to the 54-month sentence, Danielson's Superior Court Judge Jack Fisher also ordered Cheryl Hicks to serve five years of probation once she's released from the York Correctional Institution in the East Lyme. Hicks was charged in November 2018 by Plainfield Police with embezzling approximately $462,000 from the concrete floor company where she worked as an office manager. In the Middletown Press this week, the next step for COVID-19 vaccinations may be doctors' offices, experts say, though there are significant challenges that have so far prevented it from becoming reality. From Tom Balazak, Yale New Haven Health's chief medical officer, the question is, how do we lower the barriers to vaccination? The state announced recently that more patients have been hospitalised for a COVID infection with 275 additional cases identified in the previous 24 hours and 2.85% of COVID tests coming back positive. The increasing number of cases have prompted more Connecticut cities to enact mask mandates in indoor public places. Norwalk, Bridgeport, Stamford, New Haven and Hartford will now all require masks indoors. 
The rate of COVID vaccinations in Connecticut has stalled over the last month. The week of April 10th, there were more than 315,000 COVID vaccinations, compared with the month of July, where there were an average of 35,000 vaccinations per week, according to state data. The need is real, Balazek said. With the Delta variant spreading through the population, vaccines continue to be our best tool for fighting the virus. And in the Chronicle this week, residents are being asked to respond to a survey about the challenges facing Wyndham residents, with many in the community living paycheck to paycheck. The survey is part of the Asset Limited Income Constrained Employed, or ALICE, challenge, a partnership between United Way and the town of Wyndham. The survey is designed to get information about households struggling to meet basic needs, including housing, food, childcare, transportation, technology and healthcare. The United Way releases a statewide ALICE report annually. According to information provided by the United Way, there were 678,608 calls to 211. 211 is a service through which residents can receive information about community services, crisis intervention and referrals to health and human services. United Way plans to fund a solution to the challenge at the conclusion of the Wyndham Challenge. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East This Week, where you can also listen to the show again on demand. And please like, follow and share on your social media platforms too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening.